Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store. Just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the word of God. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in Acts chapter 10. We have finished up our toxic series, um, and uh, we are moving on to a little mini-series preparing us for uh, Show Up Sunday. Something to kind of encourage our hearts and motivate us to get on out there and fill some seats with some folks who need to hear the gospel. And so I was trying to figure out, well, what Bible passages could we read that talk about Christians should get out there and start reaching people for Jesus? And I thought just about anything in the Gospels will work. Just about anything in the Bible will work. And so I was reading through uh, the book of Acts because I'm prayerfully considering doing a series through the book of Acts from top to bottom. And, uh, and I lit on a chapter that I thought, oh, this is really good. This speaks to me. So I hope it speaks to you because we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 for two weeks. But it spoke to me, so if nothing else, you can be like, well, at least Pastor got something out of it. So if you flip to Acts chapter 10, we're going to read the first half of it today, and then we're going to discuss the second half of it next week. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 10, verses 1 through 23 today. And I couldn't come up with any fancy, creative names for this, so we're just calling it Acts 10, part 1. Um, I lacked creativity on the titles this week. So Acts chapter 10. Part 1, and if you would stand with me for the reading of the word, we're going to read verses 1 through oh, roughly 23. And uh, as you find it, if you will stand, we'll go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, which is holy and true um, and leads us in to life. We hope this morning that as we read and submit to it, and as we hear it and submit to it, that you would teach us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about ourselves in relationship to you and others. May we be encouraged this morning. And may we also be corrected if we need it. May your words speak loudly and clearly to each one of us. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. And he was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to all the people, and he prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come into him and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. And when the angel spoke to him, he departed. And he called two of his servants, a devout soldier, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city... Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry. He wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing food, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners to the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice that said, Rise, Peter, eat and kill, or kill and eat. 
But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again and a second time said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three more times and then the thing was taken up at once to the heavens. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. Why are you here? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guests. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This story is so intriguing to me. Um, I've read through this story, I don't know, half a dozen times in my life, probably more as I've read through the book of Acts. And uh, I've never really paid attention too much to its significance, and it repeats a little bit in Acts chapter 11. If you want to read ahead, you can read the rest of chapter 10 this week and maybe a little bit into 11, and it'll give you a big context. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Cornelius for a moment, okay? We don't know too much about him before we dive into Acts chapter 10. Here's what Acts tells us about Cornelius. He was a centurion. Do you guys know what that is? Anybody? Soldier, right? Do you know what kind of soldier? Roman, okay, this is good. We're getting this down a little bit more. Do you know how many men he commanded? A hundred, right, so this is good. So sent, right, okay, a hundred. We're breaking these words down, okay? So he commanded a hundred men, and he was part of an Italian cohort, which was a group of six centurions who oversaw 600, if my math is right, uh, soldiers, right, okay? So he was one of six leaders who oversaw 600 men. This was a an elevated position. He wasn't a common soldier who earned kind of like mm, a pittance in terms of salary. He was five times paid what a regular soldier was paid. He was very well off. He was socially prominent because of his position in the Italian cohort. He was a leader of leaders. He was well-respected in the Roman military system. And according to scripture, he was also well-respected with the Jewish people. But he was a Gentile, right? He hadn't um, been converted to Judaism. He had not undergone circumcision. He did not follow the laws of Judaism. He was not a convert. He was not one of God's chosen people. He was a Gentile. He had never submitted to God's will in this way. But scripture tells us he followed almsgiving and prayer regularly, which were two very uh, specific and primary expressions of the Jewish faith. So he did everything but the circumcision, right? And so he was not part of the covenant people of God, but he prayed to God and he feared God and he gave money and alms to the church. And so in doing so, he was doing as much godly as he knew how to be. He prayed to a God he feared, but he did not submit to this God. God heard his prayers and responded in a very significant and very real way. Um, uh, and so here's this idea of someone who is aware of God, someone who has heard about God, someone who interacts with and is friends with God's people, someone who has not yet submitted their life to God, 
but he isn't necessarily angry or set apart from God in his heart. He just doesn't know God personally. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so this is who Cornelius is. And an angel came to Cornelius and said, guess what? God has heard your prayers. And Cornelius was what? Terrified, right? Because he was a God-fearer. He was a little bit afraid of this God. He didn't know this God personally, didn't know the love that God had for him, just knew that this God that the Jews worshipped was one who parted the Red Sea, brought wrath down upon God's enemies. He'd heard the stories, but he hadn't experienced the love. So he was a God-fearer, but when the angel came, he was actually terrified because he didn't have the compassionate understanding of God in his heart to work with him in that way. That's Cornelius, okay? And then you've got Peter. You're familiar with Peter, right? Probably more so than Cornelius. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. In fact, he was not just one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was one of the, uh, like, close disciples of Jesus. Um, he was one of the ones that Jesus had a very special relationship with, and we see that played out in Scripture. He was a passionate Jesus follower, right? He was the guy that jumped first and thought later, right? Time and time and time again. Peter is characterized by being super passionate and thinking second, okay? So he would say things, and then Jesus would be like, Peter, okay, just for a moment, <laughs> Don't speak and think, okay? And then he would act, and Peter would be like, or Jesus would be like, okay, for a moment, don't cut the dude's ear off, okay? We don't work like that. Let's just pull it back a little bit, okay? So Peter was always like bold and out there and in your face, and Jesus was always back. Love the passion. Let's direct it, okay? And so this is Peter, and he was the one who denied Jesus three times, right? He says, I love you. I will do anything for you. I will even die for you. And then he was the first to be like, I don't know this man. I have no idea who Jesus is. I will deny Jesus with an earshot of Jesus. And so Peter lived this life of super passionate and oops, and super passionate and oops. And Jesus came back from the dead and met with Peter and said, do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And so Jesus redeemed this passionate person and gave him a purpose. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he preached this amazing sermon at the very beginning of the book of Acts, which we'll dive into hopefully in the new year. Okay, so Peter became harnessed by the Holy Spirit. His passion directed and channeled toward reaching people for Jesus, and he became an early leader in the Christian church. And one day, as we read in Scripture, he was praying, he was hungry, right, and the food wasn't ready. And so he said, well, I've got nothing better to do with my time. I will go pray to pass my time. And have you guys ever prayed while hungry? Or have you guys ever, like, had the plate of food in front of you, and you bow your head to pray? And your mind is distracted by the bacon that's on the plate. You know what I'm talking about? And you're smelling the food. And you're not quite sure what you're praying anymore. Because all you can think of is, I just want to eat what is underneath my nose at the moment. Okay? So Peter's really hungry and he's praying. He could probably smell food coming up to the kitchen. Like sometimes when we do potlucks. And I'm preaching and I can smell the food coming up through that doorway. And so his vision that he has is of a big sheep being lowered from heaven and all kinds of animals on there. And God says, kill and eat whatever you want. And that sounds like a hungry kind of prayer to me, right? But Peter, Peter, again, he passionate, but not always like the first one to get something, okay? 
And so, so Jesus lowers this sheet down and says, you can eat anything. There's reptiles on there and birds on there and hooved animals, on, all kinds of things. You as a Jewish boy, good Jewish boy, you don't eat those things. And God says, kill whatever you want and eat whatever you want. Three times over, he's like, come on, Peter. You can have whatever, eat your fill of anything on this thing. And Peter's like, I can't because I'm a good Jewish boy and I don't eat unclean things. And God says, listen. Whatever I have made clean, do not call common. You can have your fill of any of this. And then the sheep goes all the way up to heaven, and Peter's left smelling the food for dinner. Now, uh, we have these two experiences, these two prayer moments between a Gentile and a God that he fears, and Peter and a God that he passionately loves and is desperately trying to understand and work that out in his daily life. Um, there are three things we need to know from this passage in terms of applying it to our life. The first is the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of the unbeliever. Okay? The Holy Spirit is at work in the life of an unbeliever. This message today is like, it's, a, it's so simple. Okay? God is working in the lives of people who are not here this morning. Okay? God isn't just here in this room and in the other churches where people are worshiping him. He is clearly glorified when we gather together and worship him. But I guarantee you that God's Holy Spirit is roaming our city, working his glory out in the lives of unbelievers and God-fearers and people who are distant from him, and they might not recognize it, but he is there passionately working through their life situations, right? Through conversations with other people, perhaps through curiosity, or even through desperation. How many of you have friends or acquaintances or have talked to people who are clearly not Jesus followers? They might be God-fearers. They might be distant in some way. But they make some sort of comment and they tell you in their comment that something is going on in their life and they wonder why God would do this or why God is allowing this or what, what could they have possibly done to deserve this. And they make comments like that because they don't understand God and his ways and they're trying to reconcile what they understand about God with what is going on in their life and that is a perfect opportunity for believers to speak into the life of a God-fearer or unbeliever because the Holy Spirit is stirring something up in their life to provide an opportunity. God works through situations and conversations and desperation and curiosity in the life of unbelievers. See, God goes ahead of Christians and paves the way with grace and his Holy Spirit in the life of unbelievers. Um, in scripture, there's this story that Jesus tells about the sower. And it's a story about God and how he plants seeds everywhere, basically. But the repeated refrain in the story is, the sower went out to sow. And you hear that phrase over and over and over in that story. So that when you're done reading the story of the sower, all you can remember is... The sower went out to sow, and the sower went out to sow, 
and the sower went out to sow. And sure, the seed fell on, you know, soil, and the seed fell on rocks, and the seed fell on the path, and the seed was carried away by the wind or the birds, and some of it took. But all throughout all of that, the consistent thing is the sower went out to sow, and the sower went out to sow, and the sower went, and the sower never stopped sowing the seed. And God never stops sowing his seed and his grace and his love, and it doesn't just get sown in the good soil, right? It gets sown out in there in the rocky soil and out there on the path where it's hard and out there where the weeds are. And God is constantly throwing his seed out among people who are unbelievers so that perhaps it might take root. The sower went out to sow. God is continually working in the life of unbelievers. How many of you know someone who does not know Jesus, who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus? I, hopefully every hand goes up, okay? And if you are going, I, I don't know, get out there and meet some people. Um, because if you live in an isolated Christian-only world, you're missing the point of Christianity to get out there and love people. Um, and so, uh, but it's hard, right? Because, like, I'll just be honest. I'm a pastor, so, like, my job um, seats me around Christian people most of the time. And so I'm in the office working, and I'm meeting with people. And, and so it is... It is actually something I must focus on to go out and be among. And sometimes you'll see me wandering around town. Don't think I'm hanging out doing nothing. I'm literally the best place I can minister is the Starbucks area. I kid you not. I'm not just going to drink coffee. I am going to drink coffee. But I kid you not. I have had some of the best ministry conversations with people who don't go to church. And sometimes people I haven't seen in a long time. Because midday at coffee o'clock on any given, you know, weekday, people are tired of their work and they go to get coffee and they're worn down and they're struggling with whatever. And if I'm there having coffee, it's a beautiful time to have a conversation. I have prayed with people who are suicidal right there in the Starbucks line because it is just a great place to meet people. We can meet people anywhere, right? Because the sower goes out to sow. And God is working in the life of an unbeliever. Second thing. God is working through the life of the believer. Okay? So he's working in the lives of the unbelievers. They just might not be aware of it yet. Okay? And he is working through the life of a believer. This is like, um, like Peter. Okay? Um, he, uh, he was a believer. He received the message from God. And he had to figure out what to do with it to interact with uh, Cornelius. Now, I want to ask you a question. Peter struggled because this sheep that got lowered in his vision had clean and unclean animals in it. And he wanted to be a good Jewish boy and not break any laws. And he says, I'm not going to touch the unclean things because they are unclean and I am a clean Jewish boy. Okay. And God says, if I have called it clean, don't call it common. Then he was giving Peter permission to get messy, right? He was giving Peter permission to get out there and get his hands dirty in some areas that maybe he hadn't gotten his hands dirty in because he was worried about how that would affect his own holiness. God was saying, I have made you holy, therefore you can go out and the dirtiness of the world can't stain you because I have made you holy. Your holiness will actually be the contaminating factor in the world. You will take holiness to the world, but the unholiness of the world will not make you unholy, okay? And so he was struggling with what that might mean. I want to ask you a question. Who do you consider unclean? 
Because that's really what that vision was about. That's the vision that God was challenging Peter with. There are people groups, Peter, you are not going to because you consider them unclean and you don't want to hang out with them. Now, I understand you're doing that because you want to be a good God-fearing Christian or Jewish boy, but we as Christians struggle with the same thing. There are people groups, personality types, um, lifestyle uh, subcultures that we go as Christians that's unclean and uh, I can't, I'm not gonna because that would make me feel uncomfortable or other people in the church would look weird at me if they saw me coming out of a bar because I was ministering to so-and-so while drinking a water or a Coke and um, I don't want to be looked at differently because of that. I can't go talk to these people because I, I, you know, and so we make excuses, but God has lowered the sheet and said, hey, if I have made it clean, don't call it common. And so I want to ask you the question, who do you consider unclean? You don't have to answer it out loud, but think about it. Who do you consider unclean? What people group do you consider unclean? What people group, if they walked in this door right now and sat down next to you, would you have a really hard time loving, a really hard time finding conversation topics with because you just can't get past it in your brain and your heart how horrible X, Y, or Z is? What lifestyle? And you have that picture of that people group or that person, you know, the person who comes in with all the piercings and the tattoos or the, uh, the gay couple who comes in or the person who's drunk and homeless um, or any kind of, you know, person, people group, whatever. Picture that in your mind. I'm going to give you a second, okay? For every person, it's going to be slightly different. Now I want to ask you a question about that. Was Christ's sacrifice on the cross sufficient enough to cover their sins? Yes. Okay. So, and since the answer is yes, you can't consider them common, and you can't exclude yourself from ministering to them, right? So we are without excuse. God's Holy Spirit is working through the life of the believer to reach the unbeliever. You are sent to unchurched people, okay? You are sent to unchurched people. Yeah, pastor, I know. I know, it's a mission. Go out and baptize people in the name of the Father. I'm not, okay, yes, it's a really basic Sunday school lesson, but we exempt ourselves from it, okay? You are sent, not one day God will give you an email with the name of a specific person, and he might, I don't know how he works, okay, he could, but you don't have to wait for that like highlighted name to pop into your brain one day okay that's not your sp specific assignment and you just anxiously wait for the name god will give you god has given you an entire city of unbelievers and you don't know their names because you aren't friends with them yet okay so you are currently sent not you could be sent or you will in the future at some point be sent if you are a believer in Christ, you are currently on assignment right now to reach the lost in this city. And though we often live this life for us, um, we are actually living this life right now for Jesus Christ and his glory, not our own. And Jesus decided in his heart and mind and soul and everything that Jesus is to leave heaven and come to earth where we are wholly unclean and sinners, 
and he became incarnational. He dwelt in the flesh. He came into our life and our world to show us that this is how we are to minister to other people. Did you know that you are the answer to an unbeliever's prayer? Right? I cannot tell you how many times in my life, ministry and personal, that I have had a conversation with someone or run into someone somewhere and started a conversation for whatever reason, and they have later told me, you want to know what? That conversation we had on such and such date or this conversation we're having right now, this is exactly an answer to a prayer. I was asking God to help me out with such and such or to point me in the direction or to bring someone into my life for such and such. And now here you are. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Has anybody else heard that in a conversation? Yeah? Okay. So here's the deal. You are like Peter as the believer. And as you're praying and as you're listening to God and as you're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he is working on you and through you to unite you with an unbeliever. Okay? This is just, just a super simple point. Okay? You are the answer to their prayer. They might not know God, but they fear God. And God says, I can work with this. I can take someone who doesn't know who I am and work my Holy Spirit in their life. And I can take someone who knows who I am and work my Holy Spirit through their life and through my providence and the obedience of a believer. I can unite a believer and an unbeliever in a real world, tangible way so that gospel conversation can be had and seeds may be sown and watered and matured and harvested for the glory of God and the good of the mankind that are involved. Like this is how the gospel plays out in real life. Evangelism is the burden, okay, I'm not going to lie here, it's a burden. Evangelism is the burden and the joy of every Christ follower. We don't get to exempt ourselves from this. Every believer is on mission to lead people to Christ. Otherwise, we're just mean and selfish, okay? If we know that Jesus saves us from our sins, and the people who don't know Jesus are dying and going to hell, and we keep that knowledge to ourselves because we feel awkward, or because we don't know the right words. We are literally withholding the potential of life for someone because we're being selfish. We are called to be bearers of the awkward news, you know, the, the, the bad news, the I'm sorry I have to tell you this news. What kind of news is it? The good news. It's good news. We should be excited to share the good news. So when God's Holy Spirit prompts us in a circumstance or in a moment to make a phone call or to talk to that person in the grocery store line or whatever it is, and God's Holy Spirit prompts us and we have no idea why and we're not quite sure what we're going to say, we still need to do it anyway because we believe that God's Holy Spirit will work through us, right? It's not us, it's God, and he will work through us. And the highest calling that a believer can have is wrapped up in the greatest command Jesus gave us, to love your neighbor, right, as yourself. Do y'all want to die? Not really, no. You like living the life you live, right? So when you live this life, you love yourself in such a way to take care of yourself, right? So if the greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself and you love yourself enough to spend your life following Jesus because he is your life, then to love your neighbor as yourself is to give the gospel to your neighbor. That means your unbelieving neighbors. That means the people in the grocery store. That means the people with the lifestyle choices you disagree with. God is uniting believer 
and unbeliever for his glory and the good of mankind. When believers respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they often find themselves in a position to be a minister of the gospel. Okay? And you might be positioned to be a minister of the gospel and have sweaty palms and your brain is going, I have no idea what I'm going to say. Words are coming out of my mouth and I'm not quite sure if they're right or wrong. And I hope I don't feel awkward or regret anything that's going on. But still, words are coming out of your mouth, right? Have you ever been in that moment? Sometimes I'm up here on Sunday morning. Words are coming out of my mouth and I really hope they work well, okay? Um, but God's Holy Spirit, I believe, helps me preach. And God's Holy Spirit, I believe, will help you in the moments when you are, in effect, preaching to the people that you meet. It's just like Peter and Cornelius, right? Cornelius was a God-fearer. He didn't yet know God, but he knew of God. He prayed to this God that he wasn't quite certain of, and he was just tossing up a prayer to whoever would listen, cosmically speaking. But God was listening, and he was answering. And he was answering not necessarily by coming down like a Saul to Paul circumstance and could have had a V8 on his head and making him blind and then see again. He was working directly through the life of a believer. And that believer had a choice, obey or disobey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see how that plays out next week. But let's ask this question of ourselves. As a Christian, as a believer, have you positioned yourself to hear the Holy Spirit? And you might be like, well, yeah, I pray. Or you might be like, I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know that I've ever thought about that. Think about your prayer life for just a moment. When you pray, do you say, dear Jesus or Holy Father, however you started off, and then list off a bunch of things and talk and talk and talk and then say amen and then get up and go on with your day? Because that's most of American Christianity's prayer life. Dear Jesus, thank you for such and such and such and such, and please help me with such and such and such and such, and please bless so and so and such and such for the broken toe and whatever else is going on in lives. Thank you for the good weather, blah, 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 amen. And then you get up and you move on. That's not necessarily the full complement of prayer life, right? That's a speech you're giving to God, and then you're closing it out and you're moving on. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is... Jesus, here's some things that are going on in my life. Now I'm going to sit and be silent before you and allow you to speak to me about the things that I've just brought before you, but also anything else you might have on your heart, God. And that is when we begin to hear what God would have us do in the life of people around us. That is how we are to hear God say, hey, you know that person you met the other day? You might want to give him a call. Or hey, Here's, here's a scripture verse I'm just going to lay on your heart. Have you reflected on this one recently? Just tuck it away because it's going to come in handy later today. Okay? We want to hear from God, not just speak to God and move on with our day. Are you positioned to hear and then are you willing to respond? Are you willing to reorder your life and your schedule to meet with people who God places in your life as he unites you with an unbeliever, and he says, here's one of my believers, my sheep, my children, who call me by name, and I know them, and they know me, and I love them, and they follow me, and they profess me, and I am going to move them here today to the coffee shop line. At the same time, this person is going to have a sudden craving for an extra dose of caffeine, and they're going to be right next to one another, and I am really hoping that a conversation is going to happen. 
Are you positioned and prepared and ready for that kind of thing? What can you do to reach out to people around you? I'm throwing a lot of questions at you because I want you to start thinking about this in the real practical sense. Not just, hey, it's great that Peter listened to God and met with Cornelius, but how can, Dennis, how can you do this in your daily life? You know, Jeff, how can you do this in your daily life? Mia, how can you do this in your daily life? These are all picking on people on these sides, right? Sorry. Uh, Blaze, how can you do this in your daily life? <laughs> I got you. Um, and so, so this is like real practical, okay? Many of you have heard me talk about oikos, your oikos. Your, uh, it's the Greek word that means your people, right? So you are positioned in your life and your social uh, goings abouts in your work that you see roughly 8 to 15 people that are the same on a regular basis. Might be the teller at the bank, it might be the person at the grocery store, might be you have coffee at the same time every Wednesday afternoon at the same time as someone else, okay? Now, but you in your life will, generally speaking, run into between 8 and 15 people that are the same on a regular basis. That's your oikos, those are your people. Those are the people that God has uniquely positioned you and you alone to minister to. So how are you praying for them? How are you encouraging them? How are you building relationships with them? How are you um, spending time getting to know them and pouring life into them so that they might know Jesus? Those are the people that you know. But what about the people you don't know? Okay, it's one thing to go, I know eight people and I'm willing to reorder my life for the people that I know. But what about the people that you don't know? Let's be honest. Peter didn't know Cornelius. Some dudes from a Roman army, like Cornelius sent a soldier to a Jewish man's house to say, my captain, my commander is looking for you. That's a little off-putting, let's be honest, okay? And Peter says, come on in. Let's have dinner. Let's hear what this is all about. Are you willing to make space for people you don't know when God is uniting you and them together? Are you willing to get to know people that you know nothing about for the sake of the gospel? Next week, we are going to read what happens when Peter and Cornelius meet for the first time. And um, in case you think that just because Peter was one of the chosen disciples of Jesus who walked with Jesus for three years, and you think that he might know how to do it all perfectly and flawlessly, uh, let me give you some hope. No. Um, okay? It is not the most smooth experience, which gives me hope and should give you hope because God uses people like you and me to do glorious work when he unites believers with unbelievers. Right? So why don't we close in prayer and ask God to speak to us and put in our heart and mind a willingness to listen and to obey this week and opportunities that we might see. Father, uh, thank you for your word. It's this beautifully simple message that you're working in the lives of other people at the same time you're working in our life. That you might, you know, unite me and someone who doesn't know you for the sake of your glory and their good and mine as well. I want more people to know who you are, Father. And because of that, if I really believe that, I must be willing to go where you lead me and say the words you give to me in the moment. Father, as we are coming before you, we're just going to sit silently. And we would ask that in these moments as we listen, that you would fill our hearts with what we did this morning. Maybe not what we want, but what we need 
encouragement, chastisement, um, a little punch in the arm, let's go get them team. Maybe it's the name or the face of someone or just boldness to take on the challenge that you will lay before us. Whatever it is for each one of us, Father, would you speak as we sit before you in silence? Father, may we learn to discern your voice, and may we do so by positioning ourselves in prayer silently before you on a regular basis, presenting our needs and then soaking you in so that we are full to overflowing when we encounter unbelievers in this world. What you have made clean, we will not call common, Father. May our eyes see this world as you see them with love and compassion and great mercy. Fill us with those things this morning, Father, and give us opportunities to demonstrate it. We pray this in your son's holy name.